What is going on, people? Welcome to another episode of Daniel's Zanum Hoops. Back in the building with my main man, OP. Shout out to the GOAT, Ahmad Rashad. Uh, we got Team USA on the men's and women's side. Uh, more um, of an issue in terms of the women's side with NECA uh, obviously not making the team. Perhaps one of the uh, best 10 players in the WNBA, of course, doesn't make uh, the Olympic team several years uh, going forward despite showing up to events. The men's side, we have uh, Chris Paul, according to Shams, said, hey, I'm in. And then Woj said, whoa, 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 hold on. We we talked about this, uh, at least Chris Paul and his crew, I guess, talked about it with Woj, said, hey, um, you know, just expecting with the finals, if he does get there, he's going to have virtually no time off at 36. And then we have Harden and KD, two guys with injury pass uh, deciding to play. So did anything maybe shock you uh, in terms of uh, how the women's side was handled and, of course, how the men's side with some decisions that were committed? I think the, the with the women's thing, I think the thing that stood out was how political even the U.S. basketball is. As Canadians, you always think about, uh, you know, we always think of it actually just from the Canadian side. But I guess, you know, there's old saying no matter where you, no matter where you go, there you are. Um, and I think that applies to like U.S. basketball because, you know, uh, Neke um, pretty much did everything you're supposed to do and cry and, you know, crossed every T, dotted every I and still didn't get um, still didn't get what she deserved. And it looks like, you know, the running joke is that it's really just UConn basketball in disguise. You know, they have six players that are UConn players. And then it's like, if you didn't go there, you don't. And there's separate practices and all that stuff. So I was more. I was more like, obviously, Gino probably uses that as also another way to recruit players through the pipeline. And it makes sense. But like, it was kind of weird. And with the men, you know, if they want to play, I don't I don't know why Harden would, especially. I can see why KD just like, I feel good. Might as well just keep playing. Harden feels a little surprising. And Kevin Love, just because I thought like, you know, Kevin Love, like, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know there was a market for that. Like, I didn't know it was like, you know, people really wanted it. But hey. He hasn't won in a while, so might as well get a chance to do it again. Yeah, I know. I think he's also trying to drive that, you know, trade value up. We talked about the whole um, debacle that's kind of gone on in Cleveland. He obviously signs a big deal. It's shown – and he obviously said, hey, I felt I felt vulnerable in points of my career, but obviously professionalism is still a thing, whether it was the game against Toronto, you know, hitting the ball or several uh, clips on YouTube or, or Instagram, I should say. I sound like old head. Uh, on the YouTube, but yeah, just a lot of stuff like that. So maybe he's trying to repair his image and say, Hey, you know, I want to play um, in my early thirties, only so much time left in with the injury history. But for me, I definitely agree with you with the Harden thing. And of course the NECA stuff, first off with the NECA stuff, you know, you said it, you know, you're going to deal with politics in every realm. Um, I've definitely learned that in terms of my experience playing or whether it's job stuff. And it is a shame. I think as I get, where Gino is coming from in terms of if he wants to sell it, but at the same time, you want to have the best players. And if anything, if I'm a recruit, I may be looking at that and saying, hey, like, that's a little fishy to me. If he doesn't value me, if I don't go to UConn, then, you know, how does he view me as a player? And, um, of course, with Harden, I just think he needs to rebuild his body. We'll go into it, of course, as we talk about the Milwaukee uh, Nets series. But to me, I think just the way he's broken down, uh, even early in his career, uh, the, the 2012 finals, of course, seemed like he was a shell of himself, uh, him having to guard LeBron as well. Just stuff like that. It just seems like 
there's actually a trend there. And I think him taking time to actually work on his body and transform himself would have helped rather than continue playing. Yeah, and, and I think with the UConn situation, UConn uh, national team, as, as it's called, it's like, I think the biggest takeaway is that you, you ask players in a, in, a, in a national program sense to, to make concessions and give up their summers and give up their training time and, and go through the whole entire process um, and play in, in the qualifiers. And she did all that and was re- successful in regular season. So it's like, what are you saying to your national team members who are literally going through the hoops you, you placed in front of them, as opposed to some players who didn't play at all and opted out and still getting selected. Like that, I think was a bigger thing. And it's not like, it's not like a situation where like, it's, you know, a B plus, it's a B minus type player, um, like, or a B plus player, like a Kyle Lowry versus like, you know, um, versus like, let's say a KD. Cause you understand why KD gets a fly. But like it versus, let's say I'm not using Kyle Lowry. I'm gonna say Kyle, Lowry, but just the the NBA metaphor. Like Neke is 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 MVP. Like she is up there. She's one of the better players in, in WNBA. So like it doesn't make sense. And like um, so I just think it's unprofessional. Uh, uh, to your point about even with the with the uh, uh, men's side, just like you, I just don't think you should treat your athletes, and especially in a sport that's kind of and there's and to be honest, like. Um, as much as I love Sue Bird and as much as I love uh, DT, like they've won, this is a gold medal number five. Did they really need another one? Like, not like one of them could have sat that. Too, yeah. yeah, like they're both like, I mean, like, come on, like we clearly could. As, and again, we have somebody who's in her prime, who's an MVP, who's, who's, you know, who's done all kinds of stuff, who's won a title and still hasn't been able to be recognized because we all know it's a different the U S Olympic team, especially for women is more about, cause they're going to win no matter what, cause they're always overwhelmingly better than everybody else. They're literally the most dominant. They're more dominant than the men are at this point, but it just goes to show you this should, this is more about where you see, where we see you in the game. It's more like, this is what you mean to us basketball. And you're the face of our game as an extension, as opposed to the U S it's a matter of, yes, it is, but it's also more like, yo, who want, who's in like, Sometimes, you know, LeBron's just like, you know, I got space, yeah, I'm doing it, I'm 36. Yeah, that is true. And I really think, as we talked about with, like, the men's side, you need to push that next generation. I think, like you said, DT and Super could have been like, hey, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in my late 30s, early 40s. And they, they've been on minutes restrictions and, and sitting out games, so I just don't see where – you know, if it's maybe something to add to the resume, but I think they're they're sealed and NECA obviously still building to hers. Hopefully she can prove these people wrong because I really think uh, she definitely got a, a bad uh, hand dealt to her despite uh, all the, you know, she met the criteria where to Isaiah Thomas. So I, I feel bad for her for sure. Uh, moving on with our ATO stuff, going to talk about the conference semifinals. First and foremost, just get this out of the way. Not going to Stephen A. Smith it, but you know, Ben Simmons decides, hey, um, I, and you could see it. I mean, we talked about it throughout the game, and people were telling me, hey, look at the box score. He has, I think he had, like, uh, double digits assists. But I was like, he's passing up looks. Like, this isn't just a guy um, getting in the paint, drawing uh, size in terms of John Collins and Capella. He's drawing guards. Like, that play he had, so he had 13 assists on, on only four shots. That play he had um, – he had two guards on. I can't remember the play uh, in terms of who uh, was guarding, but I know obviously Thibault cut. But to me, just situations like that just seemed like it was routinely happening. 
And you can just see the mental block. I think to me, he needs to, and I heard, uh, at least listen to David Aldridge on the athletic podcast. He said, Hey, you know, he's apparently out in LA. He's hit the reset button. I really think watching him play, he seems like he's a right-handed player shooting. Um, He's had, he's had a, bunch of problems with his jumper and I, I really think there's a glaring problem in Philly and it's kind of similar to that Markel Fultz thing because I really think there's definitely a correlation there yeah I then like to talk about I think it's been talked about to death because now the conversation is starting to unfortunately spiral out of control to the point where now we're, people are just calling him trash which we know he's not like this guy's a two this guy's an all-star defensive player first team and you know defensive player candidate and we all talked about how this this is despite the fact that he doesn't shoot. But, you know, I'm going to bring out an old cut. Like your boy Antoine Walker said it, um, you know, I don't understand how you play the game of basketball and not want to shoot. Like how yeah. do you not grow up as a kid and not want to get buckets? Like, you know, that's, you know, like it just seems a little like stupid that we would like think. And not stupid. It just, it just almost counterintuitive. Like you're playing basketball, even if you're a past point first pass first point guard like end of the day like we we all started the game because we all want to you know hit the game winning shot and crowd goes wild like so why would you want to do that so there's been numerous stuff talked about maybe he's too coddled uh maybe he's too insulated it's only tight families so no one's really telling him what to do i don't want to get into the psychology of it um i'll just say like it's definitely it's disheartening, right? Like only taking four shots, going three or four of the seven games without even take attempting a field goal, passing up a wide open dunk, um, is a systemic issue. I think I want to take the conversation more to what again with the organization itself because there's a couple things that bothered me uh, from the future and the past. From the most recent thing, I think the one thing that stood out to me is. I hated the way Doc said what he – I hated what Doc Rivers did at the end of the game. Like, I hated that. Like, it's okay if we say it, if it's okay if the media says it, it's okay if anybody talks about this. And we can talk about how he doesn't really fit with Embiid. It's unfair to Embiid that he has to really – he's the one who has to go out to the three-point line to accommodate him, right? All that good stuff. But you cannot say, I don't know if this guy's going to be good post-game. You just, like Kenny Smith after this uh, – when said after the game – um, I think very well at point. Like you just went to war with this guy for for a whole season. You cannot f- ten minutes later say I don't know because if you had won that game seven, would you have said the same thing? Right? Let's say they win. Let's say Trey Young is one for twenty four instead of five for twenty four, and they pull that game out. Like it, it just showed a lack of faith and I, a lack of accountability. And like Doc to me looked really bad. I think he looked just as bad as Ben because we you know we've heard we've heard the stories about Bomani talking about uh Bomani Jones talking about Peter Fessy did never liked him because he always seemed to go behind his back and trash his things and he trashes players in it. and that passive aggressive not confronting people might be the reason why that Chris Paul Clipper team never got to the conference finals until after he left so like I'm not I don't want to be too long-winded I have another point that I want to kind of get into but like I just feel like in general, I think it's systemic, and as a team, there's there's room, there's ways to make that work. But right now, it just it, they're at a crossroads. They need to make a choice of where they're going because clearly, it, this isn't it. Yeah, and even looking at his usage rate, uh, only fifteen percent on the team uh, in terms of the rotation guys, guys who actually played. He would rank what 
eighth. Um, and that's behind Corkmaz, Dwight Howard. So some of it has to obviously do with his aggression, but I also think, like you said, I don't think they really use them properly. And, and I know Brett Brown obviously got a lot of hate, but I feel like even with Brett Brown, there was more movement on the weak side with him. He was just kind of standing in the dunker spot. And who knows what's going on, like you said, because maybe he's feeling, hey, um, I, I'm not really feeling like I'm a part of this process, no pun intended, but um, he, he may feel like, hey, you know, maybe Doc isn't really addressing some of the stuff that he feels he wants to be able to tap into. And I really think um, in terms of him, he had that year off. I think you talked about it off air. Uh, he had that year, year off where he didn't play his rookie season. I think they should have addressed it. And that goes to show you how, you know, Philadelphia just as a whole, and, and they're starting to suffer. Obviously they don't have a, a solid wing score, at least in the series we saw Seth Curry. We were looking at him saying, wow, he's good beside Joel Embiid, but then you're having Tobias Harris, who's not a guy who finishes that well at the rim. Um, jump shot can be a little streaky, especially when uh, guys can really uh, shorten his gaps and not allow for him to bump them off their spots, get to open looks. And, and I really think that it's just poorly structured and, and they're starting to suffer from that process era just because to me, I, I really think that there, there was definitely a development atrophy in terms of how maybe, like you said, maybe if let's say he is being coddled, how did you address that from year one? Because year four or five, a guy's going to have his routine. He's going to do what he does. Yeah, and 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 I think that – and that's what I want to talk about. Like the second point, I, you kind of set me up beautifully there. It kind of threw me a lot. Um, and, um, and, and it comes down to this is when – when organizations are built off of just straight losing and the, this idea that like this idea that losing was somehow genius and how it was bandied about when it's like, okay, but if that was the case, the Clippers were the process from the eighties to two years ago, you know, like it, it, you know, like not two years ago, they got better. They've had ebb and flows, but like every bad team is then part of it. No, like even if, if, you know, a team we'll talk about later, like Phoenix, it, as great as it's been, it really took a competent GM to come in there and be like, no, we got a good piece. Let's build around it. But it shouldn't in a league where more than half the teams make the playoffs every year, it shouldn't take you that long to, to be successful or to be a playoff team. So this idea that it was somehow ingenious to be like, well, we'll lose on purpose. But like, if we go through the process, like, um, of their process. Yes, they they drafted Ben Simmons and they drafted Embiid. And you could argue that Sam Hinky um is being judged based off the decisions Brian Colangelo made, um, which we we all know as a Raptor fan how he's kind of made, because you know, the Tobias Harris, the Jimmy Butlers, like all that wasn't made on Hinky's watch in Hinky's defense. But they also drafted Joe Okafor and Orleans as well, and Joel Embiid and all had them on the same roster at some point. Right? Like he so when you build, like I talked about before, when you set up a culture of no accountability and winning is not an expectation and having good habits is not an expectation, that habits were developed, right? And you don't find the diamonds in the rough, right? And when we talk about like a team like Phoenix finding a campaign, finding a Mikel Bridges, finding like, how, why is it taking so long to effectively build around these two? And I think it's just because when you're always looking to 10 years down the road, you're missing what's right in front of your face. Yeah, it's true. I really think, uh, and I think there was a lot of pieces to that puzzle. Like you said, you know, Ben likes to operate in the paint, uh, whether it's getting downhill, but then you got Joel Embiid who said, he's like, I don't like shooting threes. Um, I really like trying to dominate the game in the post. And he, of course, showed in this series, he's not a good playmaker out of the post. Uh, he can make the simple reads, but 
he definitely makes a lot of lazy passes in terms of like telegraphing his stuff. But, you know, not to harp too much on the Philly side. What did you see from Atlanta in this series? Because I really was impressed with, you know, obviously you got um, Kevin Herter, Red Velvet, deciding, hey, I'm going to go at Seth Curry every time. You've got Herter. Kevon. Yeah, Kevon Herter. Kevon Herter. Sorry. You got to say his name, man. Say his name. Kevon Herter. Go on. (laughs) And then you got got, – what's surprising, the Lou Williams and Trey Young pairing actually was like – I think it was like a – plus 24 in the minutes that they played, which is crazy. Cause if you and I were sitting here saying, wow, this team played Trey young and uh, Lou will together, we'd be like, did they lose in five, but they got something positive out of it. John Collins is he's impressed me throughout this playoff run. Maybe he's trying to get that bag, but to me defensively, he's done a good job. His ability to wall guys off uh, been way better on ball than I thought, especially against Embiid. He's definitely beating him to the spot, not allowing for Embiid to get those cheap fouls where he tries to swing his arms through guys. And, and I think going forward, you know, Atlanta has something well to work with. And shout out to Nate McMillan. He definitely repaired a lot of his uh, the question marks. Because I know, listen to Caitlin Cooper, she said, hey, you know, looking at him in Indiana and in Atlanta, maybe it's because he has a different staff, but. I, he's running different stuff. He's running things that a lot of people in Indiana are calling for. And, and, you know, kudos to him. He could have just said, you know what, forget that. I've been successful in, in this league. I'm going to do what I do. But to me, I think he's maximizing this team. Yeah, and I think it's – and I, I also think, like, in, in defensive, Nate, you coach to what you have, right? Like, to the same Caitlin Cooper podcast we talked about where we found out, you know, Sabonis – had to cover the most ground of any player like you know just you ask the players to do what they're capable of doing i still that's think prime that, lebron bro uh, yeah like that's literally you know prime lebron Giannis, Kawhi. like that's the guys i think about that are um carving real estate not fives like fives shouldn't be doing that in any lineup i don't even think serge Ibaka, you know <laughs> I, you know prime was been all, all yeah so like um to your to the larger point about Atlanta, like them being able to attack um, Philly in those switch situations when they got they got Steph isolated on the corner down the stretch and where Kavan uh, Herder was literally just he was killing him in the post. That kid was hard. That kid had showed no fear in the game seven. And normally, you know, role players don't step up in game sevens on the road to kill you. Normally, it's a superstar. You know, they survived Trey, and Trey has come. You know. Trey's a guy I think a lot of us got to eat a little bit of crow on. I know defensively he's still not where I think he should be. But that kid from the Knicks series on has shown an ability to just not care about who it is. And I think the NBA is in good hands because he's got to embrace that villain role. And, you know, his floater wasn't there in game seven, but he was still making the right reads. Um, he was being chased by one of the best perimeter defenders probably in the NBA and Matisse Thibel and then Ben Simmons on top of that. So that might explain a lot of his struggles, but I think Nate, like you said, deserves credit for unlocking the lineups that he had and using Collins as a pick and pop guy and, and, and understanding how to move Philly's defense in a way. And, and I think Philly kind of with some of the lineup choices kind of, I think aided him, right. Cause they could just, again, isolate Steph Curry on a block and, or George Hill, or, you know, in the case of Philly playing Matisse and Ben together, which means but the shooting Dwight. isn't there, and Dwight. Like, so, like, it made their lives a little bit easier. So, they, you know, to give Nate credit, like, shout out to, like, 
shout out to just being able to understand what your roster is, not what your not what your roster wants to be. And I think a lot of people who do the game sometimes through analytic lens miss that. Like you got to play to what your team does. If your team can't, if your team is, you know, you don't, you wouldn't judge an elephant on its belly to the swim is pretty much what I'm trying to say. Yeah, for a second, I thought you said shout out to Nate for being black, but you know, um, <laughs> I was black. like, <laughs> black power girls again. See, I'm going to do it. Yeah, but to <laughs> to me, um, <laughs> I really, I really am impressed with this Atlanta team. I think, especially um, those wings without Reddish, without um, De- uh, DeAndre Hunter, who I, I think may be the best, uh, you know, three and D guy in that twenty eight. Uh, 19 class maybe I'm wrong uh at least at least from what I've seen I think that dude's special and I, I really my question is for you what's impressed you most about um their wings and their big lineups because I really thought like you said we thought Philly would be the team going big in terms of maybe going Ben at the five or going with Joel and Ben with some shooting which they seem like they uh Doc was reluctant to do except for maybe one stretch where Tyrese Maxey saved their season um what's impressed you about that big trio I think those three Bogey Gallinari and, and Kevon and that's what I'm calling it from now on it's not gonna be Kevin no more I think they were really good at just being very at, at, at second side situations, like after the pick and roll, initial pick and roll and the, the kick out to the wing, those guys were always good at being aggressive. And again, attacking the smaller guards and realizing that all, all, all of those guys, especially in Gallinari and Herter's case, they're just bigger than the guys they're being defended by. So when they would swing the ball out and they would be able to attack three on fours, make four on three reads and play off of Trey, right? Because Trey, the one thing Trey does a lot, like we talked about with Tim Martin is, um, in the last pod, I don't want to make it about the wings uh, and then start talking about Trey, but I think his ability to move his feet makes defenses on the second side take a step, um, pause for a second a little bit more and keep their eyes focused on the ball. And then those guys can attack closeouts and just hit timely shots and attack d- dudes in the drop, especially when you got Dwight on the other side. And just, I think their ability to attack in second side situations was the difference in the series in a way that Philly could never do on, on the other end. Cause Philly really, it was really one. If, if the first option didn't work, there wasn't much to go with after. And Atlanta, again, the way you survive your best player not playing well is the other guys picking up the slack. Shout out to the others. Um, yeah. Word up, man. I think, I think you said it well. I really, think that uh, those guys definitely are taking advantage, especially when it's a four-on-three situation or it's a scramble situation, obviously, with Seth Curry, George Hill, those small guys. And I really I applaud them for, you know, taking and maximizing the most of it. But on to some – talking about big lineups, I guess big versus small ball, the Jazz and Clippers. Um, we're recording this on Wednesday night, probably released later Wednesday night or Thursday morning, depending uh, on – what I feel like, uh, but we're recording before the uh, Bucks and Hawks game one. So I really think that, um, you know, that's going to be an intriguing matchup. We'll definitely dive into that series um, as we go forward. But we're going to recap that game six. And of course, that closing situation with Utah, they go up about 22 points. I think I, I went to bed. I was like, they're, they're only up four. And I was like, you know what? Go to bed. I'll watch it the next morning. And I saw, you know, Terrence Mann put on a show. They decided to go small, you know, shout out to T. Lou once again, showing why 
maybe PG was right, like you said last podcast, because he's he's made he's pressed every button, whether it works or not. He he's gonna be like, okay, I tried it. All right, I'm gonna move on because you definitely see he's going through a plan. Defensive rating in this series, everybody was above 125 for the Utah Jazz for a defensive rating. So uh, that includes uh, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert, and everybody else in that lineup. Um, and you saw they were exploited when. And I talked about this. Royce O'Neal, six four, not very, not a very big wing. He can move his feet, but he's still six four. Him, he was their best defender on the perimeter all year. But I even him, like they just, they just couldn't stay in front of guys. And then when you're having Gobert have to show out higher, he's used to rotating to the paint. Shout out to Terrence Mann for taking out you know the looks and making them pay. But to me, this is this game was the embodiment of why I think Utah. It wasn't sustainable for me because I just don't think the roster has enough flexibility. Maybe they go with Ilya Sova at the five, which I thought they would have done a little bit more. Uh, he played only one game in this series, but uh, I'm really uh, – I think Utah has some decisions to make. Oh, yeah. We talked about this during the season. I always thought they were wing – we said it – we both said it. We always thought they were another wing away from being a real contender, right? We, we love what they were doing and how they're getting guys out of rotations and stuff like that. And they, they were scoring – like when I went to bed, speaking of old man, I went to bed when Mitchell hit the three to put them up 25. I was like, all right, game blouses. And then I went to bed, woke up, and then boom, you know, you know, eight hours later, uh, shout out to SpongeBob, and I looked, checked my phone in the morning, and, and they lost the game. I had to go back and watch. And like you said, it was their inability right now. They need two things. They need to acquire another wing who can play some defense um, with some length. You know, if they get if they get lucky somehow in the draft, somehow find another OG Pascal Siakam type. I don't know if those guys don't grow on trees, so they're hard to find, and teams will snatch them up. Everybody um, needs them, man. Everybody needs one, right? And or they need to address, or they need to get a small ball five, like a, you know, speaking of the Clippers, a healthier Serge Ibaka is a guy I'm, you know, I'm thinking about somebody in that mold who can play that position. But again, teams usually fight to the, you know, teams fight for that guy, right? So. Um, I don't know if they ju they're just not going to be available, but I said it last pod, your defensive player of the year and I all praises to him, defensive player of the year at the rim, Rudy Gobert is the defensive player of the year. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make an indictment and say all of a sudden he didn't deserve it, but like, we all know what defense means sometimes and defense for him is, is defending the rim. It's playing in drop coverages. And he even made some closeouts. Some of those were tough shots, but like, you got to be able to play small. And I'm trying to think of a defender because we talked about this with Ben. I'm going to ask you a question. Historically, Ben Simmons, Tony Allen. Um, I'm trying to think of another guy. Um, there's other ben defenders. Wallace. Ben Wallace. And why would you take them off the court? What was the reason why? Their inability to, I guess, create their own jumper more than anything. Yeah. So why? So then I'm going to ask you a question. Can you name a defender that was taken off the court because they can't defend? Yeah. Do you see the that yeah. that was the point? Like you never took off Ben Wallace, not different game, different era, because he couldn't defend the pick and roll. Mm -hmm. You didn't take off Tony Allen because he couldn't guard Kobe. You took Tony Allen or or, or, or Curry. You took him off because teams would hide teams would hide shooters on the Ben Simmons, right? Like that's a guy they could. You know, just a dude who who can get out and defend these wings. And in the West, there's too many good ones for you to survive. There's too many Kawhi Leonard's, too many Paul George's, too many LeBron James's. 
Um, too many DeMar DeRozan's even. Like, there's too many good wings in the in the West right now for you to get away with playing that way. And and shout out to, like you said, Lou for figuring out early, like, I'm going to win this thing small. If we're going to win, it's going to be with five guards who can handle the ball and, and big wings. And we're going to play our bigs just for a spell. And Utah needs to get some line of versus. So I don't think Quinn Snyder is a bad coach. I just don't think he had anything to pull from. You know, the deck was limited. Yeah, I think, you know, people were real critical of him, but I definitely agree with you. You know, looking at that bench outside of the Sova, I don't really trust even him. He's not the most athletic guy, not a rim protector. So to me, I just think that this roster needs some reconstruction. They got Mike Conley coming off the books for $34 million, So it's going to be interesting what they do with him, maybe some sign-and-trade stuff. Uh, outside of you got Mitchell Clarkson, who has a player option for 24, and uh, Gobert, who can make up to 46 million in 2026. Um, what do you think the, the next move is? Do you think it's going to be a, a trade? Do you think it's because I think they've traded their picks because of the Memphis deal? And um, like you said, you talk about the defense, the offensive side, you know, Gobert, I think I heard a stat, he shot 43% on shots. They had to take one dribble or more. It was a small sample size, too. So that's another reason where you look and you're like, hey, how sustainable is this? Yeah, they, they I don't know what the market is, but they need to get in a, a four or five. Anybody can play out of the short role because that's another thing with Gobert. He doesn't do well. Um, when we talk about the Clippers next series, Aiton is on, as at his age is better at that. Right. Like Aiton is better at playing out of the short roles and and putting the ball on the floor. And when, you you know, teams will speed you up. They're just a shelf life. Like, the Clippers are a bad matchup, you could say, right? And you could be like, oh, the Clippers is a bad matchup. The same, to me, the same thing would happen if they played a healthy Lakers team. The same thing would happen if they had to play the Suns. They would have had to figure out how to play small, and they can't do it. And you can't be in the NBA. And, like, it was a, it was a reverse order of Boston, where Boston can only play small. In Utah, it's the opposite, where they can only play big. And you can't you can't win a championship. You can't downsize or upsize your lineup. And upsizing meaning adding a wing. It doesn't necessarily mean like you need a six seven six eight guy. And like I said, where is that guy? And why would he go to Utah unless he's getting traded there? Yeah, the shout out to Don that. Mitchell. That's the one thing I will say. But that guy's a monster. I don't want to take that away because he had a hell of a series on one leg, um, and just showed a lot of heart. And pick and roll, and he he showed me a lot. He's a high volume guy, but those who are trying to argue that that Rudy Gobert was their better player, I think you need to chill out. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell's the MVP in heart and soul. Yeah. For sure, because he definitely made them go. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see. He's taking leaps. I think they actually have heard stuff about him getting you know a floater package given to him. He's worked on that. Next step for me with him is probably the playmaking out of pick and roll. He saw some plays where he gave the ball too early to Gobert, you know, one dribble or more situations, kind of that KYP, nor your personnel. So, and he's still 24, so I think he, he's got time to grow, and hopefully they can give him some on-ball reps and help him develop as a lead guy. Um, the last section of our ATO, the game seven uh, probably goes towards the Nets if KD decides to – where his regular shoe size, I I I, I feel for him because I, I would go kind of like this when I played. I'd go either half a size or a full size up, wear a 14 goal to a 15 because, hey, you, sometimes that having your toe right, I guess, there, you know, is irritating. But I, I'm sure this is more irritating him, you know, trying to seek out a three. Um, 
ends up being a two. And you can see that overtime, both teams were gassed, but Milwaukee did enough to obviously hold them, hold them off. It was 52 minutes of game or 53 minutes of game play. And they said they were a better team for the 53 games of uh, 53 games, 53 minutes. Um, Joe Harris and James Harden seemed like they just couldn't get anything going, especially Harden. We already said he didn't look good going downhill. And Joe Harris seemed like he was in his own head. And despite Katie's historic run, especially that the last three, four games, um, what did you see from Brooklyn? Because, you know, I predicted Bucks and seven, although, you know, after this, I still don't feel good about it. But uh, what's what do you think in terms of uh, Brooklyn? Because I, I do think, yeah, this team is loaded when fully healthy, but I do think they need to really reassess how they kind of calculate this math of how they're going to win a championship. Well, I mean, KD played the probably the best two games of his entire career, if you consider what was around him, or at least the best couple of games since he was since he left OKC. And game six was definitely the best game he's ever played in his life. I don't think that's even game five. Game five, sorry. Game five was the best game. But, uh, you know, Joe Harris, like you said, it kind of sucks because it's like a field goal kicker who starts missing kicks. Like, you know, like he's hitting, he's missing threes. And it's like, literally, yo, this is the one thing we need you to do, especially with Kyrie out. Like, we needed threes. If Harden is playing with one leg, I'm not going to do the whole Harden thing. I I do think Harden needs to change up his body because this keeps happening where he either breaks down physically this is the first time he's broken out physically normally it's an exhaustion thing um and he hits a wall but like this time it's his hamstring as somebody who just tweaks hamstring like it hurts like hell to do anything (laughs) um so it's with it getting better so i could imagine trying to plant cut explode jump um try to shoot jumpers from deep when you need that hip and like when you sit into your hips to shoot you can feel your hamstring being Nah, bro, especially when you try to get back into extension. So, like, um, and running and sprinting, whatever you want to call it, um, it's just not fun. So, I do think they met. I do think Nash did make a, a crew. I do think he should have taken a timeout, especially in overtime, because that shot with KD was like literally like me on. It's like, it's like the last 10 seconds of a plank, and you're just kind of like arm shaking of a long and you're together, dripping sweat. Yeah. Like, he was finished. I just keep it together. You're breathing hard as hard as hell and, and staring at that clock and wishing it was going faster. But um, they they kind of – I don't – I'm not worried about Brooklyn as much unless these guys don't take care of their bodies in the offseason. I think they'll be back. I think they'll be better. Team, guys will want to still play with them. Um, I But, again, yeah, like they do have a Joe Harris issue because if he's going to do this come playoff time again, like you can't win like that. Like that's the one way they were going to be able to kill you is like, hey, even if Kyrie's not available or not playing well, we got a guy who can always hit open jumper. And if he wants to be Kyle Korver 2017, 2018, then that's not enough to win a championship. Yeah, and uh, if I, I, that, that too, and I think they really need maybe – tap into some more but Nick Claxton minutes hopefully he can continue to work on his body and I think I think you talked about they need an actual interior presence what and it doesn't have to be a Rudy Gobert per se or a DeAndre Jordan right now but it has to be somebody who can at least give them some flexibility in terms of hey when we play this guy we're not a bottom 10 defense we're a top 10 top 12 defense because they don't have to be a top three top five off uh defense because they got the elite offense whether it's with a healthy kd and Kyrie or healthy kd and james but um 
for me, I think, yeah, I really want to see how they address that Joe Harris situation because I think I'm not going to overreact. They have Dinwiddie coming off the book, so hopefully they can make a move there, uh, whether it's a sign-in trade, because I really think they do have some flexibility, unlike some other teams that I guess are super teams, but that's going to be a thing to look at. And on the Milwaukee side, I was really impressed with how um, Chris Middleton, man, I know he didn't shoot well him and Drew Holiday, but his ability, especially in the games that they really needed, he was able to get to his spots. That guy's a tough shot maker. You know, uh, Alan Crabb Jr., word to our guy Phil, as he called him a couple years ago, which uh, <laughs> if you look and look at Alan Crabb and Chris Middleton, I think he was off on that. But to me, I, I think using Giannis is more off ball and in terms of him getting downhill off of handoffs was real good. Uh, I would like to see a steady die to that and, and keeping teams honest because I think yeah, he can score one on one, but when he's when you're giving a guy a, a launching pad to dunk on your head every time, um, it's just a problem. And I really I was impressed with Milwaukee because I think it was definitely a tough win and ugly win, you can say. And you know, Giannis did airball two free throws, but he wasn't shying away from uh, you know taking the shots because that's one thing you can say. As much as we talked about Ben, Giannis is still gonna take that shot, man. Yeah, and I, you know, I kind of killed Giannis on the last time we talked. Giannis, I did everything. Like, there was, he, as great as KD was, and we talked about, it, it, it turned into, like, because of KD's brilliance, we talked about it. Like, KD was the best player on the floor, but Giannis was definitely a close second. Like, that whole entire game, he took on the challenge, and he barely shot. He only really, he only took, like, two jumpers where I was like, what are you doing? As opposed to other games where it's like, you know, um, he was kind of shooting his way out of it. He was game. Like, all the whole entire game, he went for it. The air balls, he still kept going. He still was going to the basket. He was still – he was putting his shoulder through dudes. He still has a ways to go skill development-wise, but the mentality was there, like you're talking about. Like, he played with the force necessary to win a game seven. Um, and shout-out to P.J. Tucker, literally giving everything he could physically to, to try to slow down KD. And let, and Middleton just with a tough shot making and Drew Holiday finally you know and and we and this is kind of reason why I think we both lean Bucks is just because it always felt like the Nets defense wasn't going to be enough to win a championship this year if teams got out of the rim and and even them they even survived and as I knew the Nets were out of gas like Lopez made the block of his life um, that block he had on KD when you can tell again KD no lift putting up the right and just and and Lopez covering so much ground and blocking that shot was like a you know the shot of the TSN turning point um they're the most talented team left they should win the title like I I don't the path is clear they're better than the the Hawks when we get into the preview they're better to me they have the best player on the floor They have the deepest team in terms of defense. They have the best defense. They have the one guy that nobody has an answer for. They should win the title. Like, this is on them to win the title there because they're the best team left in terms of – but, can't again, there's too many – there's just so many moments where you just look at them and you get so frustrated because they just feel like they're, like – like I said last prior, I'm like, they can win the title, and I would still be like, are we sure? So, but, yeah, they're, they're, they're flawed. But shout-out to Giannis. He showed up, man. And and I would love to see more dribble handoff, but he showed up. Like, his mentality was there from the jump. He's like, I'm going down, and I'm going down swinging. So, shout out to him to answer the challenge. Yeah, you, you showed a lot of that stuff I talked about in the preview pod in the playoffs. 
a lot of that Duncan area where he's in that pinch post, making decisions, attacking downhill. And yeah, like I said, um, if, if he's going to be like that, I think it's going to be hard for them to, you know, get beat. And I think maybe this is a series where they kind of say, oh, we can, you know, breathe a sigh of relief and, and say, hey, we got over, I uh, got the monkey off our back. Hopefully they don't get too complacent in terms of the game and the series that they have coming up with Atlanta. But I really think maybe this is hopefully, not to be cliche, but hopefully that is their uh, the case for them. But moving on to the conference finals, we've had some two great, you know, we have two great games. Um, got the LA Clippers and Phoenix Suns, Devin Booker and Paul George go head to head for most of game one ends up uh, with Phoenix, uh, you know, closing it out to, to seal the game one last night. You had that close game. Uh, Suns were up what six points, I think with a minute and a half left Clippers come back and, you know, take the lead. What did you see in this game? Because uh, at least the first two games, I really think this is going to be a great series. Um, and man, we've got some good basketball, some good tacticians in that uh, coaching staff for both of them. Yeah, and shout out to the ratings being actually up from last year, which kind of shows you that it wasn't it wasn't the Black Lives Matter thing. It was just people didn't want to watch the playoffs in in a bubble situation because the world was trying to figure itself out. But uh, people are good with if the basketball is good and people are back to normal, people are going to be more excited to watch what I saw from the, from the court is just, man, Monty Williams and Ty Lu, man, like, like this, the tactical nature of the game, man, just the way though. I love how Phoenix is so active. So like the way they're attacking the trap. So like when they would show high on book, the way bridges and Crowder would always make the right read. Um, you know, that half court hoops article you sent me where they kind of ran that, that, that series action on the elbow between Crowder and Aiton and Crowder immediately gets mad. And I couldn't figure out why live. And then I had to rewatch it. I was like, Oh yeah. Cause Aiton had to slip like, the, like just the chess match that's going on in that series um, with Lou trying to figure out how to, you know, lose, lose issue is going to be that they don't have Kawhi, right? Like, everything he's doing is predicated off of them missing their best player. But, you know, in the case of they're not, and, and I want to get, and I love the meme that Josiah put, uh, <laughs> shout out to Twitter goat, NBA Twitter goat Josiah about, you know, teaching Chris Paul has a great influence on the Phoenix culture. No doubt about it. But like this, you know, now he's getting credit, like for, you know, teaching them how to breathe. Like they, <laughs> you know, those guys have come a long way. Like we need, we need to, we need to put some flowers on what those guys are actually playing or doing. Um, we don't need a narrative to death as, you know, we, you know, it's getting too, it's getting carried away, but just the, the pin down action, Aiton, you know, who I thought was going to get troubling in the, in the LA series, went toe to toe with AD, whether he was healthy or not, the Denver series, we thought Jokic was going to kill him. He's been good in this, and he's been good in this series too. He's been eating up Zubac. He's probably, and the crazy part is the worst center he's played in the conference finals right now. Like, so, to me, that's the one thing I've been watching is just those two coaches playing chess, Booker evolving as a playmaker, all that. It's been an amazing series, and and the NBA needing to change their damn review policies. Yeah, it, it pissed me off because my recording got cut off because the last, like, five minutes are yeah. ridiculous. We're reviewing everything, man. Yeah, it took like, 30 minutes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I think the NBA – have a guy just – or, or, or a man or woman, whoever it is in the office, definitively, no, it is this call. Let's not have uh, the crew sit there for 10, 20 minutes at a time and say, 
uh, you know, that's kind of close, but because, you know, it, it just makes it messy. Yeah, and, and like, I'll let you go back and then obviously I'll let you talk about your insights. But, like, the review stuff, like, the idea behind review was just for, it was supposed to be just for the big, we don't know what the heck happened, let's get it right. It wasn't meant to review every single thing. It wasn't meant to review charges in the NBA Finals in Game 1 of a 2018 Finals. It wasn't meant for that garbage. Still mad about it. It wasn't meant for that. It was meant for, like, plays that mattered, plays that we didn't know. And now it just, it's like an abusive technology. We're like, we need to review the review the review. It's like, bro, we don't need to do this. Like, the game was fine. Like, we didn't need to look at the pinky in the middle school and let's go enhance, enhance, enhance like we're in CS, like in CSI Miami. Like, that's not why we watch sports. If we wanted to watch that, we'd watch CSI Miami. Uh, yeah, so yeah. What, what are your insights, man? What are you seeing? What is the one thing? Because there's a lot in this series. I love watching this. I just hate the fact they're up at 9 a.m., 9 p.m. It's like an assault against my old, against my washness. Yeah, I just really like how Phoenix is very flexible with their Spain stuff. You see a lot of whether it's Aiton setting the back screen on the uh, guard originally. Sorry, uh, not Aiton. Sorry, Booker setting the back screen on Aiton's man originally, or sometimes they'll just run it with Aiton screening the ball, and then they eventually set the back screen, stuff like that. Uh, and a lot of stuff before, I like how he's using Spain as a finisher because a lot of teams kind of use it as quick hairs, but you can definitely see how they're trying to make you change sides and then eventually get the, the ball in the best player's hands, get the advantages. Uh, the Clippers doing a good job at least trying to attack Booker. Uh, the second game is what? He had a tough shooting night. I think he was getting a little too caught up with the physicality of Beverly, who I think that matchup, I don't really like that matchup. I, I get why Blue's doing it because obviously he's down, arguably one of the one of the best or the best two way player uh, currently left in the playoffs right now in Kawhi Leonard, in terms of that on ball presence. And they don't really have a big wing other than PG. Terrence Mann's uh, given his his all, but he's, he's he's about the same height as Booker, but he's not as strong. You see Booker trying to muscle him. Once he's able to get to a snake. Um, he's definitely opening some things up for Aiton. And I really liked, it, especially in game two, I liked how Aiton, like you said, I was looking for the reads he makes on uh, slips, on screen rolls. I really think sometimes he, he takes a little too long to make a decision. And in game two, he was assertive. He's like, I'm going to shoot the jumper. I'll make the skip. Uh, I'm going to catch a lob. And the fact that I think the Clippers got to do a better job of trying to keep Booker uh, on one side. I think they did a better job of that in game two, especially when he gets downhill. Once he gets to the snake, I think they're putting Zubac in a tough spot. Allows for even on the other side, you're seeing that kind of happen with Reggie Jackson, who's been huge in this series so far. Huge all playoffs, really, uh, showing the OKC days in terms of his scoring punch. Um, and my question is, in terms of that big Man, I really am concerned. You can see Lou trying to squeeze every ounce out of this um, matchup. But, man, they're just just—they're not really getting uh, enough out of Boogie. He has the worst defensive rating uh, on that team with 128. Um, and, of course, you got Batum. It's been a high-scoring game uh, series, especially game one. But I really am concerned in terms of their ability to go small. Because if Aiton's going to be shooting – 80% from the floor is going to be a, a pretty quick series. And Chris Paul rumored to come back for game three. Yeah, that was the one thing. If, if they don't – I mean, the Clippers might be like, we got him right where we want him, down 2-0. So, like, yeah. you know, like, they, they – you know, the comeback Clippers, we never thought we'd ever think about that. Um, but, you know, you were talking about that Spain action. One thing I did notice is that they add that little pin down as well. So, like, you, you think – That you, ram screen. 
that Ram screen that they run, right? And just like getting their shooters available. Like there's seconds, there's no wasted movement on the, like everyone's moving on either side of the ball. And Booker's playmaking, I don't know if it's Chris Paul, I don't know who did it, but he, the, one of the, the, if there was one issue what he had on offense, because offensively for somebody his size, he's perfect on offense, handles the ball, shoots a three, hits a step back, whatever. But you could say his playmaking is the reason why you need a point guard. Um, and he's been the playmaker, especially his campaign isn't the huge playmaker. I do think there's certain, I think what Lou's trying to do is he's putting Beverly on him because then he doesn't have to waste these high traps because like yeah. we talked about, um, the problem with high trapping is that pain is making them pay. I don't, I, by the way, the Clippers need to realize that. Can we stop pain from going to his left hand? Like he's left, like, you know, like, yeah, he, he, the corner going left. Yeah. Not, like, he's, like he's not Manu Ginobili. Like he's, you know, um, you know, shout out to that video I sent you where, where it's uh, KD versus LeBron 2011 in the lockout. They're saying that's campaign versus Reggie Jackson right now. <laughs> um, yeah, like just the idea of like the second side stuff. Um, I think he's using Beverly to be like, let's not waste these resources trapping because every time we trap, Phoenix is making us pay, right? They're they're short rolling or Bridges is diving to the middle or Crowder is and they're finding a guy in the corner. They're finding Cam Johnson. They're Sarge. They've gotten a lot up. He didn't play a second in the Lakers series to go to show you to show you what these coaches have been able to do. Just just be like, we'll pull from any deck. Uh, we'll play any card. We'll play any player, and we'll change up any tactic. Um, and Kaminsky hasn't touched the floor. Like you know, just to goes to show you what kind of stuff he's done. Um, Shout out to the real coach of the year, Monty Williams, because, like, he's just, again, Phoenix is just so poised. And if they get Chris Paul back for game three and he's not hampered by, the you know, his COVID because apparently he was vaccinated and the Clippers don't get thing back, I don't think is – I think this is when they go goodnight. I don't, I don't think they can make the comeback without Kawhi, especially if Chris Paul's healthy because then now we got an even better version of, can, of uh, campaign of – and we all know who that is, you know, the guy who's teaching us how to breathe. Yeah, and in terms of that second side stuff, Chris Paul definitely helps that because if they do shrink the floor, you're having Chris Paul uh, be the guy who's another catalyst in terms of drawing more attention. And we talk about this with analytics, at least people tend to say that. You know, obviously basketball has become a, a blend of that. You know, we tend, tend to be on one side or the other. But if you watch the game, you watch the numbers, it's definitely a blend of it. You see – Maybe the role players are definitely playing that analytic, you know, shot profile. But like you said, Devin Booker gets to his pull-up. Paul George gets to his pull-up. Kawhi Leonard. Hell, even LeBron. Kevin Durant. You know, Steph Curry. I can go on and on. The list is uh, uh, an abundance of players. And to me, I think in terms of that, that'll definitely help because it'll make life easier, of course, because guys aren't going to have to put the ball on the floor. They're they're making simple reads, which they are already, but it's going to be even better with Chris Paul. But – from the Clippers' point uh, standpoint, I really think that they need to find a way to get PG some easier looks because he he definitely, you know, we talked about he's had double shoulder surgery, you know, he came out from the leg injury. But he definitely needs to be better getting downhill. And I think some, some of it's him getting better angles, but I also think maybe getting him moving and getting a guy who can make better reads for him in terms of when he's off the ball. Uh, he's definitely been – uh, more aggressive in, in terms of setting up himself and others, but he's shooting only 41% through two games. And to me, I, at least late, I feel like it's easy for uh, Phoenix to say, Hey, we're just going to show a wall and you got to finish over it. 
Are we talking about PG, right? Because you kind of yeah, PG, yeah, yeah, because I, yeah, I think I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and, and no, I every, I heard everything but the name because it cut out. But um, yeah, so I think with PG, we all know that you're right. Like the thing he struggles with is finishing over size. Um, it's the one flaw for somebody as big as he is. He still kind of struggles against the rim, and 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 you know, Phoenix again is. Um, they did the same thing once AD went out with LeBron, right? Like they're just like, we'll just sit in your lap, and we're not gonna, we're gonna make it difficult. So you're right, we're gonna have to move bodies. Um, Batum needs to be more aggressive. He's got to be start putting the ball more on the floor, more I think, and putting pressure on the like we talked about with Atlanta second side. Um, the problem with Phoenix is their second side guys are like bridges sometimes right like he's got bridges on him but then he's got crowder he's going uh he's going against like they they've got versatile defenders um Corey craig yeah Corey craig who's a big who's a big wing like um and you know they should they need to and they need to be able to maximize when sarge is in the lineup right there's a reason why he didn't play in the first two series right because teams will, will attack him um you got to be able to get a lot out of that matchup and 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 sell out that way but again my issue is the trapping doesn't seem like it will work because once Chris Paul comes back and you're trying to trap Devin Booker and you're giving Chris Paul four on threes and he's going to catch the ball at 18 feet. The, like, you know, like, so it's literally like, I will just hit this shot and we'll go. Home. And I, I don't even think it, and to analytics, I don't even know if it's, it's a matter of analytics versus new school. I think some people who use analytics as a catch all for numbers I think it's a misunderstanding because I think most people who actually, I think there's two schools of thought. I think people who actually understand analytics will tell you like, no, the mid range isn't a problem for everyone. It's just a problem for a lot of players. Like you don't want, um, you don't want uh, Reggie Jackson taking that pull up, but you, you know, it's the idea is the numbers need to give the context uh and make that matter more but in terms of like that series like you know the way we're going back and forth i think we both love this series just because again even though it's 2-0 it's been super competitive outside of kevin owens i mean sorry uh pat pat beverly out there <laughs> yeah man i don't know i, I think pat bev's got to chill out i definitely see why you know he's trying to be an irritant but he's got to stay within the rules i think that's then that's part of why i wasn't really saw on the clippers team in terms of them winning a championship because i think sometimes they there are guys who should be kind of the supporting cast. They just don't necessarily do the, and we talk about on ball defense, that's team defense, discipline, just a variety of things that you got to have intact. Yeah. And then really quickly, I think the boogie issue is that normally they thought Serge would be there, right? Boogie is a 10 day contract guy. Again, they like, we can talk about him and what is, is and isn't, but he wasn't really supposed, he was just supposed to be a surge insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, they got to use it. Yeah, exactly. And they got to get more out of Zubac as a roller. That's something I realize he, he struggles sometimes finishing for a guy seven foot, seems to blow a few dunks uh, in terms of finishing through contact. And Ty Lue, I think I heard one of the games in the last series uh, had said, hey, you know, he was kind of uh, on Zubats about being more assertive and being more sure around the rim because he's if he's seven foot and they want to take advantage of the Sarge minutes, they definitely need him to be uh, a guy finishing plays and making life easier. But um, before we move on, what's your uh, prediction for this series? I'm going to probably go uh, Suns and six, uh, at least 
you know, the quiet injury, if it's an ACL sprain, based on what I've read, you know, previous injuries, it's usually about three weeks and, and there's just not, not enough time. And the way he is, I don't think he's going to rush himself back. Yeah, he's Kawhi. We know if he's not 100, percent he ain't gonna play or close enough to it. Um, yeah, I, 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 the way it looks right now, we're two zero in. So yeah, I'd be five or six. Like I, and I would have said that. Um, I would have leaned Clippers if Kawhi was playing, but I just a lot of this stuff is predicated on having him there because if if Booker was killing them, um, they could have put Kawhi on Booker and PG on on. Um, Chris Paul and at least have been able to navigate that situation. They can't do it right now. They just, you need him in this series. This is why you get him. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, just to move things on as we record this, we've got Bucks and Hawks. That's game one in Milwaukee, the mean streets of Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee actually swept the season series, um, but I think if I remember correctly, Trey Young only played like one of the games. There's no Hunter, no Giannis, I think, if in terms of resting. So there's different variants in terms of the lineups. I'm not going to go into the numbers, and frankly, that's pretty irrelevant as we've seen with some uh, regular season trends versus postseason trends. Um, looking on paper, though, my question is going to be, first and foremost, how do these guys make life difficult for Giannis? Because you said it. That he has even in the last series, we talked about how he had to work on some things. He still averaged 33 and 13. So that dude definitely finds ways to get it done. Um, how do you think they open up the series? Do you think they go Capella in terms of maybe um, the starting possessions, maybe switch off uh, in terms of that equals, or do you think it's Collins, maybe even Solomon Hill? I think it'll be Collins or Hill because you don't have Hunter. Hunter would be the guy, but he's not there. Um, I don't like, I don't like this matchup for Atlanta. I didn't like, but I didn't like the Philly matchup for them either. So maybe I'm wrong again. Um, I don't, they don't have an answer for him. If, if he's attacking the basket and he's playing in the post and he's getting to that hook, like he did in game seven, where he had a couple of, I don't see how they lose. Um, they, they'll have Drew Holiday for Trey Young. So there's a guy who can get around these pick and rolls a little bit better. PJ Tucker will be guarding Herder. Uh, my boy Kavon. Uh Middleton is an A plus defender. I, I actually think their biggest thing is the is Middleton. I think the Middleton matchup is something they need to worry about more than Giannis. Because I feel like with Giannis, at least the hope is that if you sit back and he gets love for this jump shot, maybe you can steal a game. But like I don't who's guarding Middleton? Like I have a like that's my question. Who guards Middleton? If you're talking about Giannis, who guards Middleton? Because if you're um I don't know who does. Like so uh because I really feel like like I said, I don't they should be poised to win this series. I don't I like should they should win in five or six. They should have won the last series in five or six. I, I just think they're better. I just they're better. This is the time. Like if this is hopefully this is like the the 2012 Indiana Pacers series for the Heat, where they finally get it through, and it's just like, all right, now we're going to start winning. Even when they hit my, even when they hit Boston, like I just mean, like in terms of figuring out what they are, I think this is it. Play six or seven guys when you really need to go with Covington. Uh, Connington. If they had if they had Divincenzo, I think I'd pick them even. Easy. I think it'd be easy five, but I don't see how they lose, just because I don't. I think that second side stuff won't be there. You won't be able to attack a Curry because in a switch situation, because Kavon is not posting up Drew Holiday. He's not posting up Middleton. He's not posting up PJ Tucker. So, like, 
Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's like, it's these, it's like, it's, you got these are mans, you know, like you got dudes who, who, who can play defense and you're definitely not attacking Giannis. Um, so the, the only hope is to get Brooke in space, get him in that drop coverage that I hate uh, that they play in and hope that Drew Holiday gets stuck behind these screens, but he's really good. Just like uh, Matisse is at it. So, I don't see it, but again, I didn't have the Hawks in this position to begin with, so maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I guess I'll take the safe bet and go Bucks and six, just because I I do think uh, some of that Brook Lopez coverage is definitely gonna have to be addressed. Because I mean, I don't want to say he's um, Steph Curry or maybe I mean he's uh, in terms of Trey Young, but he can definitely blow up your coverage in that, and even. He's shown growth in terms of him getting downhill, making the right reads. I think mean, he, well, he had like an 18 assist game with three turnovers in uh, the Philly series. So you can't play that deep drop as great as Brooke is at the rim. He's not Joel Embiid in terms of that mobility. So he's better moving than we think, but I still think that they need to mix it up. And I hope Bud sticks with PJ to start just because, like you said, it, it keeps the rotation solid. Um, no, no long stretches of Connaughton and, 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 uh, Bryn Forrest, because like you said, if, if they're going to have them in, maybe you run some stuff, uh, to get Trey moving. But I, I really think if you're going to go long stretches with Bryn Forbes and, uh, Pat Connaughton, Atlanta has shown you're going to play somebody. We're just going to involve them in actions and they're going to have to guard up. And I, like you said, yeah. if it's not PJ, if it's not Chris Middleton, it's not Drew Holiday or Giannis, then we'll go at them. Yeah, that's what I mean. Those four should be, when it matters in possessions that matters, those four should be on the floor together. So that's why I'm picking the Bucs uh, to win this series because the the, the problem with, with Philly is their, their best four defenders, three of them can't shoot. So, like, you know, so they're not, they're losing on the other end. Middleton can, is a two-way player. Halliday is a two-way player. Tucker is a, you know, corner three god. Like, that's what he's in the league for. He's literally corner three and D. Um, he's not even three and D, it's quarter three and D with him. So like, um, but like you said, yeah, for if Forbes get involved in, but you know, Atlanta's pressure points would be Forbes, right? Brush screens because he sucks at recovering and showing like he got very, very lucky. Joe Harris couldn't find his jump shot uh, for the entire series. Cause he just makes bad reads. Covington's at least a bigger and tries Connington, a little bit yeah. harder. Connington, sorry. I made him, a, I made him a black player from Portland instead. <laughs> But like Connington, like he's better at least competing um, and showing better, and he's cute and he's bigger and he's athletic, right? He's you guys, he's a dunk off contestant. Like he can move, and he's pretty explosive. So, but he doesn't laterally. He's still not really where he needs to be. But you know, that's where I think Atlantic attack, brush screens, Lou Williams getting you pump fake and getting you going, um, and hopefully, and Kavan showing up. But again, I just if the Bucks play how they're supposed to play. They should win the championship. They they have been the best team in the East from top to bottom. They were the third. They've experimented. It's time to take the next step. This is the time because, like we talked about off mic, if, if Giannis wins, his resume is going to look pretty nasty because he's going to have two MVPs back-to-back, a defensive player, a most improved player of the year, potential finals MVP, potential uh, finals uh, championship, and he's not even 30 yet. So like you know he's gonna have a, he's gonna have a resume of resumes, um, so this is the time or fire bud in between games three and four. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And before I wrap things up, 
how does the health of Bogdan Bogdanovich um, impact the series? Because he looked like he was definitely laboring out there, and he's a, and that, a big and guy. Yeah, and that's why I have the Bucks in five because at least with him, he would be able to attack in that, like we talked about, in that second side and hit those jumpers. If he's not right, then I don't. I think that's a bigger pressure point. Like that's why when I was talking about analysis, I even didn't mention him because he just didn't look good. If he's healthy, that does change it and makes it a harder series because he's capable. Uh, before we go, um, we forgot to shout out your boy Udoka, man. Oh yeah, he made uh, he made Udoka. Uh, 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 Go ahead, man. Uh, what What's your take on this? Because obviously Boston has some repairs to make. Yeah, shout out to, uh, according to Jay Williams' deleted tweet, the first black head coach in Celtic history. He had to delete the tweet. What? Yo, how did he make that mistake, man? I was like, they had the, and just for those who don't know, they had the first black head coach in North American sports, like, period. Like in Bill Russell, like they they were the first, <laughs> you know, it was like it was literally the worst mistake. And Casey Jones literally coached them during their '80s run. Like it was like a weird him and Ford. So I was like, what? And I'm like, Doc Rivers, like, like what are we doing here? Like, like anyway. Oh, um, shout out to Doka just being a dude who's paid his dues, uh, played in the NBA forever, Portland, San Antonio, worked his way up to the back to the front of the bench, uh, went to Brooklyn. Um, kind of, you know, ran, helped run their defense and some of um, as well. I think, um, if I'm correct, I don't know if he was a defense. I think he was a defensive guy with Jacques, but um, don't know much about him because hard to project assistance. But unlike Nate Bjorken, uh, looks like people will actually like working for him because again, another red flag. Uh, they couldn't get assistance, which should have been a red flag. They had trouble getting assistance. The dudes, it's so hard to get a coaching job in the NBA, and guys are like, yeah, I'll just wait where I'm at. Even if it's a chance to move up, should have been another red flag. But shout out to black coaches. We got, yeah, you know, getting, it, getting, getting it done, man. Um, and I think, you know, he's product of the pop system, of course. And he's definitely he moved to Philly, moved to Brooklyn. And I think he's gotten, at least I don't know about him, at least on paper, in terms of what his staff's going to be like. But he's gotten to work with a variety of players, whether it's uh, – you know, Ben, Joel, uh, KD. So uh, he's worked, one, he's worked some, with some bigger personalities in the league, and two, um, just the various terms of their play style. So hopefully he can take some stuff in terms of how he can unlock Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Free throw rate, that's something I've talked about with that team, especially with Jalen Brown, especially being in that five-plus free throws a game, being that type of athlete, and uh, maybe involving Jason Tatum as more of a playmaker, of course, with that OKC trade um, without Kemba. It's going to be interesting to see what they do in free agency in the draft. And also, I also forgot about this as well. Portland, of course, um, it's rumored it was a Chauncey Billups, Becky Hammond, and I think uh, D'Antoni are the three left. Um, how are you feeling about this coaching uh, pool? Uh, do you think uh, we're going to see history or do you – in terms of whether it's Becky Hammond or, or Chauncey getting it done? I would hope they would hire Chauncey or Becky. Um, I'm worried, like I said last time, like, I'm only worried about Becky being in the new Rooney Rule candidate where guys, where organizations were banned about just to be like, look, we're so progressive, but we never hire her. If she's capable, if she's to get hired. I'm sure she is capable because she's been on a bench. She's read, she's had coached summer league. She actually has more experience behind the bench than Chauncey does, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and they're both point guards. 
um, both Hall of Famers uh, level caliber players. Becky's actually more of a Hall of Famer than even Chauncey is. So uh, Chauncey's is really good at building relationships. Again, team people love him around the league um, as overall good dude. Like nobody says anything bad. Um, and then really quickly, Jay Williams, as it relates to the Boston Celtics tweets that came from my account a couple hours ago, I did not post that and my passcode has been changed. So he got hacked. I hope so. Because then I was about to say, you need to refund that Duke education. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure he – I forgot what he, he – he said some center was a good shooter. I think he was talking about, like, Dwight Howard or somebody being good shooter. So yeah. and, and he said that in the past. Yeah, I think it's – we've talked about this off Mike. I think when you talk every day for a living for sports and, and the way we unfortunately consume things, like, the biggest problem I've had is, like, We've never, we haven't talked about this. Like the first thing we do with Devin Booker is we make him the next Kobe Bryant. We don't let it breathe. We don't let it, we don't enjoy it. We want to create legacies. We only talk about the same three or four players. We don't talk about the league that's rising, even with ratings going all the way up um, with teams. And we're going to have a brand new champion because like, you know, the Bucks haven't won since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played with Oscar Robinson. The Hawks haven't when won. When he was Lou Alcindor. Yeah, the Hawks, <laughs> yeah, no, you Kareem by then. The Hawks haven't won by... The Hawks haven't won since they were in such a place that that Bill Russell chose Boston over it. And yeah, the other two teams haven't won at all. So, like, we're getting a good series. We're getting good basketball. The playoffs, it, it's, you know, say what you want. Like, the Nets-Bucks series, it was ugly, but it was it felt it was one of the better series I've seen in a long time. The Hawks and um, Sixers series was good. Even the only series that was kind of blah was probably Denver Phoenix. We've been getting good basketball, like all playoffs, despite not having the major players, despite the injuries that annoy us and everything else. Basketball has been pretty good. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, for sure, man. And once again, want to thank Omar for taking time out of his evening to join me today. As uh, like he said, we've had some great basketball. Hopefully we're in a new era in terms of, Hey, maybe, Next year, when things reset, we have the same names. But, hey, let's look for the Devin Bookers or in the coaching ranks. Becky Hammond, look, you look at her and we say, hey, you know, she's doing great things as this guy gets some uh, quality stuff sent to his phone. I don't know what you're laughing at. No, I was just reacting because as I was talking with Jay Williams, thing like, bro, he should have just, as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, no, I think he, me- I think he messed up. He should have just deleted the tweet and then been like, yeah. I made a mistake. I don't think he got hacked. Who gets hacked and then tweets in? Like, when do you get... Like, I, we're going to end the show, but, like, when you get hacked, it's like somebody sends out porn or something that you're not a racist stuff. Who hacks your phone? Like, I'm going to hack them and put inaccurate black coach information. Like, it, as I was thinking, as you we were talking, my brain went, wait a minute. So that's why it wasn't even the phone. I was just started thinking, like, no, man, stop lying. Stop lying in these streets, man. For real. Stop lying. Get vaccinated. Uh, you can follow me at Daniel's Den of Hoops. Um as well as uh, you can email me uh, if you got any content you want us to talk about at danielsden.hoops at gmail.com. Enjoy the playoffs. Stop complaining. We're getting some good hoops. Take care, people. Peace.